Amen. Go ahead and clap. Go ahead and get it. I'm so glad to be with you. Um, again, my name is Corey Russell, and uh, me and my family have uh, been a part of the House of Prayer on staff uh, for seven years. We just celebrated seven years. We're both originally from Northwest Arkansas. Any Arkansans here? Come on, come on. Yeah, we went ahead and got the had to pay all the prices to get over here, got off the boat, and got over here. And we're so excited to be here. First time we got here, I'd, I'd had more of a hickish voice and I got up and I introduced myself back then it was about 50 people on staff and, and I get up and introduce myself and I go hi my name's Corey and this is my wife Dana <laughs> and, and Mike goes and, and you're from London is that where you're from <laughs> I go no I'm from Arkansas and I'm glad to be from Arkansas and for the last seven years I, I graduated from college in, in 1997 I found myself, uh, I, I grew up around the church and knowing the things of God, knowing about the things of God, but I didn't know Him deeply or intimately. So I found myself at 13 years old and, and, and getting hit with the things that hit our generation, the, the drugs, the sex. I didn't like rock and roll, it was rap. So it was drugs, sex, and rap. That was the things for me. And so I went down that route throughout my high school years. I was a good athlete, I made good grades. And uh, found myself just, but I was partying it up. I go off to college, it gets worse. My parents come to see me after the end of my first year. They go, Corey, come home and let us love on you for the, let us love on you and try to get you back into shape. Because they, they, they prayed night and day for me. And I came back home, I got my first DWI back in my home. And I couldn't afford to go back to the college that I was at. So I had to go to the community college of, of where I was living. And by that time I jumped in and, and got a house with one of my best friends and he had been raised up in a God-fearing home family that loved God and feared God and but once he hit the public school scene in ninth grade he just went crazy in rebellion I mean he was just lost his mind and just went crazy and now we're living together in our college years and uh, starting to do the drugs that keep you up five and six days a week at a time and uh, and and as we were doing these drugs uh, in about November of 96 in November of 96, we had come off one of these drug highs and my friend lost his mind. I don't know if you've ever been out there, but he went out there a little too far and, and, and came back and he wasn't the same. And for the next four months, he just took days on in and he'd just sit there and look at us like this. He wouldn't say nothing. He'd just sit there and look at you. He lost his mind. We, we felt sorry for him. It went on and on and it culminated on February 1st. 1997, it was my birthday. I showed up at his house another day to hang out and to be with him. I pull up into the driveway and he has five younger brothers and sisters out there in the parking lot. He comes storming out of the house. His hair's all whacked out and his eyes are all big. <laughs> and he's running at me full speed and he's screaming, Corey, it's heaven or hell! Corey, it's heaven or hell! Make a decision right now! Just running at me full speed and I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't know what's going on. He runs and runs, gets right in my face, screaming, make a decision right now. And I'm like, i got to get out of here. So I leave, and it was known that he had come back to the Lord. He had a powerful three-day deliverance. His mom prayed him through and broke off every spirit, prayed him through and brought him into deliverance. Praise God. She's one of those old intercessors that always has a blanket on her, always praying in the Spirit, and anoints everything with oil. We got any of those intercessors around here? Praise God for him. We'd come in there, hi, one night, she'd just start praying. Anoint him with oil, Lord. Touch him. Touch him. Having oil on our pillows. Oil everywhere. 
It worked. But right when he gets saved and delivered, I get angry. I mean, of all the things you're going to do with your life, why would you get saved? What a boring existence. I mean, everybody knows that you enjoy Tuesday night sitcoms more than you do the presence of the Lord. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that you're just trying to be like a good neighbor. But inside, there's things that are grabbing your attention and grabbing your affection at a far deeper level. So I'm angry. Two weeks later, he shows up at college and he says, let me take you to, let me take you to lunch and share with you everything that was going on with me for those four months. And so he takes me to lunch and he begins to unpack to me saying, Corey, I want to tell you the truth. For those four months, the whole spirit realm was opened up to me. I was seeing angels. I was seeing demons. I was seeing things that were controlling people. And I could see that you were being controlled by real spirits that you don't know about. He says, and it culminated on the very last night. We had been shut up in a little party room, partying it up for about three or four days. And the voice of the Lord broke in the middle of the party. Now his mom about a week ago was at a conference and she knew she had prayed through, but it was a week from that time. And we're sitting in a room and the voice of the Lord breaks in the middle of this party. And the Lord speaks to Zach and says this, Satan is raising up an army, but I'm raising up an army too and I'm going to call you out tonight and I want you to go call your friends out. The voice of the Lord breaks in. He's telling me this, and he looks at me in the face, and he says, Corey, I want you to give your life to the Lord right now. Now, by this time, I had two DWIs. My license was gone for 16 months. And I looked him right in the face, and I said, shut up and take me back to school. (laughs) That's what I said. I said, take me back to school. So he says, fine. He takes me back to school, and he pulls into the college parking lot. I was still in college at the time, and right before I get out of the, the van in the parking lot, The Spirit of the Lord, I didn't know it was the Lord at the time, but the Spirit of the Lord filled the van, and I immediately go shaking violently like a seizure. I watched the pores of my skin begin to flow with sweat, and I watched a blue shirt immediately turn right into sweat, and I'm just going crazy in this van. And everybody asked me, so what are you thinking when you're in a van and you're shaking violently? I knew what I was thinking. I began to be in touch that there was an unseen battle over my soul. I knew that there was a, a, a battle that was going on over my life, and I knew it was going on. He pulls in the back of the parking lot. I'm just going ballistic, and he begins to pray and pray and pray, and after a little bit, he goes, in the name of Jesus, I bind the Antichrist spirit. He just went right for it. He bound the Antichrist spirit, and right when he did, it was like the spirit manifested, and I couldn't breathe. Hello. And now, I'm like, let's get Jesus involved, amen? (laughs) Let's get Jesus involved. I could not breathe, literally. And I go to say the name Jesus. I go to say His name, and I went, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Zach's in my ear screaming, say it, say it, say it. He said, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. I can't get it out. It seemed like forever, probably just a minute of trying to say the name Jesus, and the Spirit would not let me say His name. Till finally... About a minute or two into it, I just stopped, and I, and I was in the van, everything's going crazy. And I just declared, I went, Jesus, like that, and the hole just broke right off of me. And it's like someone came and breathed into my mouth. Zach jumped out of the van dancing, you know, giving glory to God. You know, doing it seven times around the van, Jericho just fell. And I'm sitting there, and, I, and I, it's like someone came and literally breathed in my mouth for a second. And I, and I kept saying, I've got air. 
I've got air. I've got air. I've got air. And after a second, I, and I heard a voice coming to my mind saying, Now get down on your face and give me your life, your mind. That's what the Lord says. Get down on your face. Give me your life, your mind. So I'm in the middle of a college parking lot. Kids running everywhere. And I'm out in the middle of this parking lot screaming, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm yours. Puking, getting delivered, all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And I'm going to tell you, and I stand as a witness here ten years later, that on February 18, 1997, in one raw touch with the presence of God, the power of addiction was broken in a moment. The power, I'm telling you right now, we were sticking needles in our veins, we would smoke a bag a day, we would drink a case a day, we did God knows what every day. We threw away our sexuality throughout our teenage years, and in one touch with the presence of God, the power of the devil was broken off my life. That's powerful. But what's even more powerful is that within a month, I had a little drug, friend, a drug ring of friends that had encounters like that one or bigger in their explosions. We begin to see a small town in northwest Arkansas, a high school of 400. And over the next six months, we saw 100 to 150 kids get saved, healed, and delivered. God broke in. I'm telling you right now. Praise God. Me and my wife, my wife was in another college. And she was hearing about what had happened to Zach. And to hear what happened to Zach is like the worst person in the world getting saved. So she calls him up saying, what's going on? And he begins to preach his uh, evangelism technique. It's heaven or hell, Dana. It's heaven or hell. So she falls down in the parking lot and gives her life to the Lord. Hey, two out of two. And we, 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 uh, we knew that in that season, those first six months, my, my thing was is I understood. Now, get a hold of this right here. And this is what ties into why I'm standing before you today. Is that I understood and what I was experiencing in the move of God was the result of prayers intercession, fastings, holiness, crying out to God for a move of God that preceded me years, even decades before what I was encountering. That what I was experiencing was the result of years and decades of prayer and fasting and calling on the promises of God. Little did we know that there was a young high school girl, a little sophomore girl that no one knew. And she, her and a friend would take one lunch a week and they'd pray for the two worst of the city. It was me and my buddy. And they prayed every week. They took one lunch a week and they promised and they cried out to God for the worst ones. And God heard their cries. We got saved in revival. We got a move of God. And I got around those old intercessors. I go, here, Grandma, give me the oil. Put a, put a, uh, put a, uh, a blanket on me and let's learn how to pray. So that's how I cut my teeth. And then after two years of that, we knew by the Lord... That we were to move up here. And it was two days after graduating from college. I took my degree and I said, now that qualifies me to go be an intercessory missionary. <laughs> so we moved up here. My wife has been singing and doing things and we've been a part of this thing. And I want to tell you right now, the Lord is doing something in the earth. Amen? Amen? Do you believe it? You are in this room because God is doing something in the earth. I want to tell you right now, that prayer, we were singing it. You can even open your Bibles real quickly to Ephesians 1. Giving ourselves for the last seven years. Why did I do it? Why did I move here? Why did I give myself to a place of prayer and fasting? Because I understood from, Bible, from the Bible and from modern history that the only ones that, that, are, that are given the grace to speak from God, they emerge 
listen to me here. They emerged from years of hiddenness, years of silence, and years of the Word of the Lord going deep and prevailing over them and therefore qualifying them to proclaim and to prevail over a generation. And I understood that the true call of a messenger and the true call of the prophetic voice was going to require years of never seeing a person or never getting them or never hearing all about that. I'm telling you right now, God is raising up a generation and He's calling them to the wilderness. He's calling them to the wilderness of prayer, of fasting, of weakness, of giving, of radically sowing their life into the ground so that it would produce much grain in the years to come. I believe we're in the midst of a transition right now to where we've seen many, many people shooting up quickly because of gifting or anointing or personality or the right connections or the right networks that they have. And we see them shoot up like a shooting star just to come back down so quickly. And I'm telling you that God is calling a generation back to the apostolic foundations of prayer, fasting, Deep in a digestion of the Word, of taking in the Word of God until it becomes alive in a vessel. And to where when you speak, angels move and devils move. When you sing, it's known in heaven and in hell. And that's what the whole purpose of this, of this session is today. Is I, I'm calling forth prophets. I want to say it unashamedly. It's an hour of calling forth the prophets. Sons and daughters that would prophesy. I'm not talking about more prophetic conferences to where we're saying, well, you have boats and coats coming to you this year. Or this is the new year for you. I'm talking about biblical prophets. I'm talking about, I'm talking about a prophetic generation that moves in the same anointing that was upon Jeremiah, that was upon Ezekiel, that was upon Daniel, that was upon Isaiah, that was upon John the Baptist. We are about to witness a great release A great call and commissioning of a whole generation that's going to come out of seemingly nowhere and God is going to put them at the forefront in a second. Maybe for one encounter, maybe for one time. But God is going to train them in hiddenness to emerge with the Word of the Lord in their generation. Amen? I'm talking about preachers. I'm talking about singers. I'm talking about intercessors. I'm talking about musicians. I'm talking about housewives. I'm talking about marketplace people. I'm talking about a prophetic anointing coming out. And when they speak, there's the witness from heaven. I believe the most important prayer that you and I can begin to pray in this hour is found in Ephesians 1, 16-19. I believe that the Apostles' prayer for the Ephesian church is the most important prayer prayer we can pray I want to say it boldly because it's more it's more than just a prayer it's a realm it's a reality it's a place of encountering the knowledge of God at levels that we've never seen before Paul prays this prayer he says that the father of glory everybody say father of glory He asked, he's not just, I, I really want you to walk through this because when he says Father of glory, I want you to know that he's caught up into that Revelation 4 throne room of God. The God who shines like Jasper. The God who burns like Sardius, an emerald rainbow surrounding his throne. James calls him the Father of lights. Hebrews calls him the Father of spirits. Psalms 104 says that God wraps himself with light as with a garment. That God's clothes are not Abercrombie and Fitch, but it's called light. God clothes Himself with light. 
That's what God puts Himself and shields Himself. First Timothy says that He is the God of unapproachable light. The God who dwells in unapproachable beauty and glory and radiance and excellence. This is your Father. When the disciples ask Jesus, they go, teach us how to pray. Jesus says, I want to teach a generation how to pray. That, and I want to connect you with something that who you're talking to is more important than what you're asking. So He takes them to heaven and He says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. He takes them to heaven. He acquaints them with the throne life. He acquaints them with the throne power, the lightnings and the thunderings and the voices. He acquaints them to the realities that are surrounding the throne of God. And He says, let me connect you to the realm of revelation. Let me give you eye salve. Let me give you sight. Let me give you hearing. And from there, I want you to live. And when Paul says, the Father of glory, this is what's in his mind. He's approaching the Father of glory and he says that I'm asking that the Father of glory would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I'm telling you right now, guys, this is the most important prayer we can pray. Because Paul is asking for the Ephesian church for more than a good quiet time. He's asking for more than a good Bible study. He's asking for more than just a little bit more livelier life. He is asking for the Ephesian church that they would be caught up into the realm of the Holy Spirit. That they would be caught up into the throne life and into the throne realm and to where they begin to see the sights of heaven. They begin to hear the sounds of heaven and they get acquainted with the realm of heaven. We're such in a search right now for what is true relevance. I want to tell you right now, true relevance. The only way that you are going to be relevant to this generation is by you getting detached from this generation and getting connected to the realm of heaven. Do you believe this? Colossians 3 says, if you've been raised with Christ, get up there. That's what he says. If you have been raised with Christ and your citizenship is in heaven, then get acquainted with the realm of heaven. And Paul is asking for that realm to break in upon us. He's asking for that spirit of wisdom and revelation to begin to envelop us and to begin to burn on us and begin to catch us up to where God's face is the brightest, God's voice is the loudest, and God's burnings are the burnings of your heart. It's where God is all in all. God is all in all. And God wants to catch us up. I want to say this is not a faraway reality. This is reality. Oh, this is what we're asking. And then he continues and he says that the eyes, everybody say eyes. He says that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. And that you would know what is the hope of his calling. The glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints and the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Do you want to know what my paraphrase is of this verse? It's, a, it's an easy one. You don't even have to take notes on it. It's three words. And I believe that this needs to begin to be the prophetic intercessory cry of a generation. I'm talking about this needs to become the language of your prayer life five times a day. Five to ten times a day. Are you ready? Here it is. This is what I pray all the time. I say, God, wake me up. God, wake me up. God, wake me up. 
I pray that prayer five to ten times a day because I want to tell you something, generation. We are fast asleep and we don't know it. I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about people in the pews, people that confess Jesus and that talk about Jesus and that dance around Jesus and know all the buzzwords and know all the, all the things and all the whole idea and the whole hoopla of Christianity, but it's so far from the spirit of revelation operating in their life that they're fast asleep. And you don't want to know what the doling thing that is doling this generation to sleep. Do you want to know what it is? It's called the spirit of religion. Now listen to me here. The spirit of religion isn't that, well, I dance more than that church does down the road. They got the spirit of religion on them. That's not the spirit of religion. If you want a good definition for the spirit of religion, here it is. The spirit of religion settles us into thinking that we know something about God when in reality we don't know anything about God. The spirit of religion settles us into a false complacency thinking that we have all of these things figured out. And I want to tell you, when the spirit of revelation is operating in a person's life, they realize that they are at the beginning of 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 a shoreless ocean that has yet to be expounded upon. The Apostle Paul in his latter years says, I have not apprehended. I have not gotten there. I've seen a broad ocean and I haven't gotten there. I want to tell you right now, the spirit of religion is choking the lie from the church. It's because it's settling us into false complacency and we need to go after God waking us up into what reality is. Wake me up, God. And I want to tell you, you, do you want to know the number one reason why we're in the fight for getting waking up in this hour? You want to know what the big fight for getting waking up? He prayed this, that the eyes, again, everybody say eyes. Say it again. Say it again. He says this, I am contending. Paul is contending for the church of Ephesus. And he says, I am contending for the eyes of your spirits. That they would be enlightened and that you would begin to move forward into that realm of revelation. I want to tell you right now, and this is what I have been hammering on, hammering on in my own life. And as I go, I want to tell you right now, it's time to sound the alarm and to begin to wage a warfare. And to begin to wage out an all-out assault on the battle for the eyes of a generation. i got three right up here. I'm going to tell you right now, we are on the battle for our life, and it's with our eyes. Jesus says if your eyes are good, your whole body is good. Jesus says that the eyes are the window to the soul. That whatever you take in through your eyes, it creates images in your mind, and your life follows the images that are created in your mind. And I want to tell you right now, the eyes are continuing because I'm speaking to a prophetic generation in this room right now. I'm talking about God is raising up seer prophets and the enemy knows more about your destiny than you do. The enemy knows more about your destiny and about your call to see into the realm of heaven more than you do. Therefore, an all-out assault has been released against our generation to do what? To shut our eyes down, to get us to settle for paltry portions of drinking from the scraps from the table and eating from the scraps of the table, and the whole while missing out on the true pleasures of seeing and hearing the things of heaven.
We're all out contending. And I, and I say it's time to sound the alarm for this generation. It's because I'm telling you. The enemy has had his way with pornography. I'm telling you right now, pornography is raping a generation. Pornography is raping the eyes of a prophetic generation in the pews. I'm not even talking out there. We'll, we'll talk about the lost another day. Today, we need a great evangelization in the church. We need a great movement in the church to where our eyes, and we begin to understand that what we take in through our eyes affects our spiritual capacities and our spiritual capabilities to be able to relate with the realm of heaven, that they're directly connected. And I'm telling you that God has, that there's an all-out contending. It says in Revelation 2 that the spirit of Jezebel, that Jezebel is at work and it's going after the prophets. It's going after the young men and the young women. And this is what the spirit of Jezebel is doing. It's teaching servants to tolerate. It's teaching servants to tolerate and to give in to the seductions of immorality. Or in my way, it's this way. The spirit of Jezebel waters down the power of, uh, of perversion on the human spirit. That's what it does. And this thing is alive in our generation, and, and I want to see a generation, because I'm not saying we're, don't do pornography. We've got to have more. I'm saying more than don't look at pornography, I'm saying get connected to the spirit of revelation. Get into that seer realm to where your eyes begin to behold beauty, to where your ears begin to hear the sounds of heaven. That Isaiah 50, that God would awaken our ear to hear as the learned. That God would awaken our ears and awaken our eyes that we would begin to come out of the lesser pleasures of this world and begin to taste of real pleasures. Well, you say, well, it's not pornography for me, brother. Praise God. No, you're just so stuffed on 25 PG movies a week that you have no real room for real spiritual capacity nor encounter in your own life. I want to tell you, just as deadly as pornography is the 25 PG movies, is the secret tolerations, is the little tolerations throughout adultery in the movies that we see, throughout the little issues that we see in our life. And I'm telling you right now that the Lord wants to begin to unmask this thing and begin to get a generation that says, I was made to see God. I was made to hear God. I was made to live before Him unveiled, seeing His beautiful face. I speak that Revelation 22 passage over my life many times. Guys, there's coming a day where we will see His face. And His name will be on our foreheads. Get a vision for Revelation 22 in your life. We're calling a holiness movement not based out of, well, it's not the thing to do. Guys, we've got to have more power than saying don't do something. I'm telling you to do something. Fight for your inheritance to see God. Contend for your inheritance to have an awakened ear and to move out of dullness and to move into revelation. Move out of dullness and move into sight. It's time we fight for the eyes, amen? We need it. It's time that we sound an all-out war on this reality and cry to wake us up. Turn me real quickly to Jeremiah 1.
Because I'm convinced that the prophets that the Lord is raising up are today struggling in areas of immorality and perversion. They're struggling, they're fighting, they know they're made for something so much more, but it's like two steps forward and one step back. They've done a hundred altar calls just to find themselves moving back into the place that they were at before, and the demons of shame and the demons of guilt and the demons of condemnation shut their eyes and shut their mouths. But I'm here to tell you that God has known you from before you were in your mother's womb and He's preordained you. He's known you. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're not fighting this thing alone. You have an intercessor at the right hand of God who forever lives to make intercession for you. It says Jesus Christ forever lives to make intercession for you. The Holy Spirit is making intercession for you. The Spirit within you is making intercession for you. I want to tell you, and all the saints through all the ages are contending for the generation to complete that which they saw in the beginning. It says in Hebrews 11 that it was not right that, that, that they will be made perfect outside of us. I believe the Lord is raising up Jeremiah's in this hour. A prophetic generation. And He's calling a people. He's calling young men and women like He did Jeremiah. Jeremiah received the word of the Lord in the 13th year of Josiah's reign. In real short... Jeremiah begins to receive the word of the Lord in the midst of an hour in Jerusalem to where the money is pretty good, spiritual activity is pretty good, there is a reform and revival that's going on in the land, and there is an overall sense that God is blessing us and God has good things prepared for us. Many, many people, it was in a revival kind of culture, King Josiah turning his heart, ripping his heart, and going on massive reforms. And many people were dancing around the revival language. They were talking about the revival language. And there were many prophets in the day who were declaring that these are times of good times. These are peaceful times. These are prosperous times. And look at how much God loves you. He would never do anything wrong to you. Only to find out that this young man... Jeremiah receives the word of the Lord in the 13th year of Josiah's reign and he receives a message from the throne of God that is completely contrary to the popular message of the day. A genera- he, re- he begins to receive a- an unpopular message from what all the other prophets, because all the other prophets are saying good times are coming and Jeremiah says no, good times are not coming because this is the problem. We have lots of people who are professionals at lip service, dancing around the fires of revival and dancing around the fires of radical Christianity. They have, they have turned into external reforms, but their hearts are far from me. So Jeremiah comes on the scene and the Lord says, I want more than your externals. I want your internals. I want your heart. Look with me here in Jeremiah 1. Again, I want to say it. I believe the Lord is commissioning and calling young men and women this weekend. And this is what He's saying over you in verse 5. He declares a threefold declaration over your life. He assaults the great enemy of abortion right here by saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
He says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. You were deeply intimate to my heart that I have set you apart unto myself and that I've known you. You're a dear to my heart and I've set, up, set you apart. Second thing he says like this. He says, before you were born, I sanctified you. I've set you apart wholly for myself. And the third thing, I've ordained you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah begins to contend with the Lord and says, God, I can't speak for I'm untrained or I'm a youth. I want to tell you right now that the Lord is raising up a generation that's going to be trained different than, every other, than any other generation that we've seen before. We are going to see the redefining of what education looks like in this generation. And let me make it clear to each and every one of you in here. There is a redefining of the wineskin of what training looks like in this hour. And the redefining is the call to the priestly place of ministry to God and intercession with God. He's redefining the whole thing. He says, Jeremiah, I've known you before you were in your mother's womb. I've sanctified you and I've ordained you. And I want to declare that threefold proclamation over your lives today. That before you were in your mother's womb, He knew you. He has set you apart for Himself. Priestly ministry to minister first and foremost to Him. And out of the overflow of priestly ministry to Him, you will be ordained as a prophetic generation to the nations. And the great contention that Jeremiah has is the great contention we're walking through as God is redefining what training looks like. And he's saying this, I can't speak for I'm not as sound or as or I'm not I'm not able to speak like other people. And the Lord says this, I'm going to show you what my training looks like. Your training is about you becoming sensitive to the voice of the Lord. It's about a generation that is that is learning how to acquire a hearing ear. That is acquiring the ability to hear what God is saying, to see what God is doing, and to live out of the overflow of revelation. He says, you will go to whom I command you. I don't want you to turn away because your calling is to be obedient, or in other words, to be sensitive to the voice of the Lord. Acquiring a hearing heart in this hour. Acquiring a hearing heart. Continue with me. He says in verse 7, don't say I'm a youth, for you're going to go to all I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. He says, do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then verse 9, then the Lord put forth His hand, and He touched my mouth. I am wanting to scatter the initial seeds this afternoon. But I want to make it clear that we're living and we're moving into an hour. I believe this with all my heart that we are going to see thousands, yea, millions of whites, of of white American, of African American, of Asian, Chinese, Korean, Vietnamese. We're going to see Thai. We're going to see a mass release all throughout Europe. We're going to see a mass release of a prophetic generation. And I'm telling you that we are embarking upon days to where God is literally going to encounter them and is going to touch their mouth. I want to make it clear to you right now that I am contending for ascending. I am contending in my life for a real encounter with God that changes everything. 
I want you to begin to get a vision for your life more than I wonder if I have the right thing. I'm talking about a generation going into the wilderness of prayer and fasting until God authorizes you and God sends you as a burning and a shining lamp into the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. So the Lord touched my mouth and He says this. He says, Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. See how this day set you over nations, kingdoms, to root out, pull down, destroy, throw down, to build and to plant. And then in verse 11, he begins to engage and invite Jeremiah into that revelatory realm. He says, Jeremiah, what do you see? What see, Jeremiah? He begins to invite Jeremiah into this place of seeing. And Jeremiah goes, I see the branch of an almond tree. He goes, you've seen well. And the branch of an almond tree is the first tree to bud in the midst of spring. And the name of that tree is literally called the awakening tree. It's literally called the awakening tree. And the Lord is declaring to Jeremiah, saying this, that the nature of your message is awakening. The call of your message is to sound an alarm throughout all, all nations, all peoples, tribes, and tongues, and to begin to sound an alarm of awakening. That's what the Lord's releasing, amen? That's that spirit of revelation, because the Lord is going to release the cry in you, wake me up. And then as time begins to progress, what's going to happen is that you are going to become a mouthpiece to be able to release and to wake whole generations and whole nations up to the reality of what God is doing in this hour. He says, I see the branch of an almond tree. He goes, good. You've seen well, Jeremiah. He asked him the second thing, and the second thing speaks about the content of his message. He says, I see, what do you see? He goes, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. And the Lord begins to speak to Jeremiah and he says this. The Lord says, I, out of the north, calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. They shall come and each one set up his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will utter my judgments. The first thing that he saw was the nature of his message. The second thing that he saw was the content of his message. And I've said everything that I've said to say what I'm saying right now. The Lord is awakening a young generation. Young and old, it doesn't matter, but it's predominantly young. He's raising up prophets in this hour that are going to sound an alarm saying, Wake up, everyone! And the second thing that they're going to proclaim is this. There is a military crisis that is going to break in upon this nation. Because in the same way that this young man stood up into Jerusalem, stood up in the midst of a, a prosperous time, a good time, a seemingly wonderful time, and rises up and speaks a completely unpopular and completely contrary message to all the popular messages of the day, so the Lord is raising up prophets. 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 Singers. Musicians. Men and women that are going to declare that there is a military crisis scheduled for this nation and in this generation unless the people of God in this nation begin to wake up and to begin to respond in the biblical way that the Lord calls people to respond in hours of crisis. 
I want to tell you right now that we in this nation, we are staring two giants in the face. There are two twin towers in this nation. And I want to declare to you, the first one is abortion. Bloodshed is screaming from the ground. 50 million babies in this nation crying out from the ground. And in the same way that the Lord heard Abel's voice, heard Abel's blood in the garden, heard Abel's blood in the same way that He heard Abel's blood, so Jesus is hearing the cries of 50 million aborted babies crying out for justice in this nation. The Lord declared it in Genesis 9, for blood, I will require blood. We have bloodshed on this ground, and I'm telling you guys, we have made a God in our image. We've made a God who pretty much fits our ideas and fits our comforts and fits our ideas of what a good Christianity here in the West looks like. But I'm telling you, God is God and He doesn't change. We have truly made a God in our image, and it's time that we get connected to the God who made us in His image. We have made one who, is, who we think is altogether like us. We have whittled him down, made him so small in our minds. We have made him so little and so weak and so incompetent of doing anything. I want to declare to you that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he's going to raise up a young man to strike the apple of his eye, Jerusalem, beloved, I tell you right now, if God is God, then we have judgment awaiting us in this nation. If God is God. Abortion crying out from the ground. And this second issue, I want to tell you right now, this issue of pornography. We have a billion dollar pornography industry coming out of Los Angeles. 50,000 pornographic films are shown and filmed every month. 800 million DVDs are, are bought every year. We're seeing that the statistics of people during youth conferences like this one are young adult conferences. We actually see that in the hotels, the rates go up of pornographic rentals. And I tell you, the sons and the daughters are in prison. The sons and the daughters who sit in the pews and that know all the Bible verses and that know all the songs and that know everything about Him are dying in prisons of shame, dying in prisons of guilt, dying in prisons of perversion, of being tormented in the night. I'm telling you right now, it's time that we sound an all-out assault and begin to say, God, we plead Your blood over my sins and the sins of this nation. God, end abortion and send revival. But Jesus, I plead your blood over my eyes and the eyes of this nation. God, in pornography, and send revival to a generation. Telling it's a fight. When we've tolerated Jezebel, we have given in to her seductions. We see it on every radio station, on every television station. Everything is infiltrated with sexual into windows, targeting to shut our spirits down and to keep us the walking dead. And we don't hear what God is saying in this generation. We don't even have the capabilities. It's because we're so stuffed on so many good things, we have no appetite for the best things. The spirit of revelation. So what do we do, Corey? What does church look like in an hour of crisis? 
This is what we're going to hit on the call. This is what we're going to hit all weekend. That's why we're here, guys. We are in a, we are in a, in a serious hour. I don't know if you know that. We are in a serious hour. And we need a redefining of what church looks like in this hour. Business as usual will not cut it. It will not cut it. The way that we've done it will not cut it. We have to get cut to our hearts. Get aware of how asleep we really are. That's the gift of God. To show us how asleep we truly are. And then to begin to create an intercessory cry. God, wake me up. Turn with me quickly to Joel 2. I have found more warfare in my own life as I target this issue. I, I am just asking God, I don't want any toleration. Because why, Corey? Why? Because pornography is bad? Yes, that, but there's something so much higher. Guys, we need people that can hear and see in this hour. We, you were made to see God. Do you know that? And do you understand that you have settled for something far less when worshiping a creature, when you're made to worship God. It's what Romans 1 says, is that God gave them over. Why? Because they worship the creature instead of the Creator. Do you understand that pornography is a global worship movement? Do you understand that pornography is a global worship movement? It's worshiping the creature. And you were made to worship the Creator. You were made to get lost in the beauty of the Lord. You were made to see and to hear and to encounter God like never before. Joel is living in a similar generation to that of Jeremiah. It's about a decade before him. Most scholars agree he comes on the scene. And this is Joel sounds two alarms in Joel chapter 2. The first one, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm in my holy mountain and let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. The first alarm is to say, everybody wake up and to begin to feel the weight of what is coming around the corner. Because there is a Babylon, in Jeremiah's day and Joel's day, there is a Babylonian army that is at your doorsteps and that is about to break in and take you into captivity and you need to awaken to what is around the corner. And that's what I believe the Lord is saying this right now. We are sounding an alarm saying things are shifting in this nation. Amen? We're seeing spiritual protection that's getting shaken to the core. We're seeing, spirit, we're seeing walls getting broken through into this nation. And we don't need just to see it. Well, that's happening over there because of that wicked city, beloved. When we begin to see the breakdown of spiritual protection around this nation, we know for sure that, 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 that something is happening and that we have turned away from God and that God is beginning to turn against us. This is what Joel says. He says, sound the alarm. Verses 2 through 11. He begins to describe what the army looks like. The military crisis that is coming. And then verse 12, he says this. Now. Everybody say now. now. Say it again. Now. Say it again. Now. He says now. Which means that there needs to be an urgency that moves past us, past our mere things, and moves right into our hearts. Now, says the Lord. 
Turn to me with all of your heart and do it with fasting. Because fasting cuts right through all the hoopla. It cuts right through the religion. It cuts right through all of your fancy, smancy stuff. And it gets right to the heart of the matter. The Lord has given us the gift of fasting to cut to our hearts. He's given us the gift of fasting to get right to the heart of the matter and to begin to deal with the areas that we are trying to prop up through the way that we eat and spend all of our time and money. Fasting cuts it away and it begins to remove the props that you're building your life upon. I want to tell you that. Verse 12, he says, do that with fasting. Tear your heart, not your garments. He goes, I want your internals, not your externals. Return to the Lord your God, for this is it. This is the declaration of His name. He is gracious, merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And He relents from doing harm. Who knows if He will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind Him, a grain offering and drink offering for the Lord your God. He says this, Job prophesies and says, Who knows that if the people of God hear the prophetic call and respond in the right way, who knows that at the last second, when judgment's about to break in upon a generation, that at the last second, when the people of God are crying out mercy, right when it's about to break in, God goes, Abort! 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 and sends the judgment away and in its place pours out historic revival. Who knows? Who knows? Alan Hood, my, and he may share this his own self, but I have been so gripped by this dream. You, you all probably familiar, we just did the 40 day, we just did the 7707 in Nashville, Tennessee. And then we had a 40 day fast preceding that and on the 33rd day, of the fast, Alan's caught up into a dream, and, he, and he's caught up in this dream, and he's over the Midwest, and he's in like a courtroom kind of setting, and it's Jesus is behind like a judge's bench, and he's, he's sitting there at the judge's bench, and Alan's excited, and he comes up to, to the Lord and says, Alan, he says, Lord, he says, is it time now for the pouring out of revival now that we've done the 40-day fast? Is now the time that you have set to release a revival in, in America and to save this nation? Is this the time? And he's crying out to the Lord excited and he says he sees the Lord and the Lord gets grieved in his heart and he takes like a green notebook and he opens the green notebook and, he, and I don't know if he began to weep but he began to be distressed and he looked back at Alan and he says, Alan, he says, what about the drunkenness in California? What about the drunkenness in California? And he began to weep. And as soon as Alan began to hear this from the Lord, he began to cry out saying, God, have mercy on us, God. Have mercy on California, God. Have mercy on this nation. Because you've got to understand, yes, it's California. And the Lord is targeting that state. But beloved, that is a gateway into the whole nation. God, will you have mercy on us? And, he, and it was so funny because he said, as he was crying out mercy, it was like it was like one of those meters, you know, where people clap and it likes to get louder and stuff like that. On one side was mer on one side was judgment, and the other side was mercy. And he says, and as he began to cry out mercy, 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 God, he says it was like the arrow was going further and further towards mercy. It was like it was moving away from judgment. It was actually moving towards mercy. And he says that it was moving. He's crying, God, 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 God. And he says that right when it hit about the halfway point, bang, he raises up right out of his sleep. He's awake. And the Lord speaks to him this passage and says, Who knows, Alan? 
Who knows? The future and, the, and the, the future of this nation and the future of the church in this nation is in the hands of the intercessors. It's in the hands of the people of Christ in this nation. It's the who knows hour, which means this. The Lord is saying, who knows if the people of God will respond. That's one who knows. And the second who knows is, who knows what kind of God and how good He is that in the place of judgment, He releases a revival spirit. Beloved, I am desperate for revival. I am desperate for an outpouring of the spirit that sweeps from coast to coast, that goes from north to south. That breaks, that breaks into homosexual communities. That breaks in to pornographic communities. That breaks in. And the power of God is released. Oh! Just thought I'd release that. Guys, I'm telling you, I'm desperate for revival. I'm not talking about a few meetings and a good conference and, wow, that was good music. Guys, I'm talking about a tangible, manifest zones of His presence. Zones of glory. That it impacts a 50-mile radius to where there is a tangible, manifest fear of the Lord on a geographic region. Where bars shut down. Where prostitution houses shut down. Where crack homes shut down. And where the power and the fear of the Lord is released and the fame of Jesus is released. That's what I'm after. That's what I'm after. Who knows? And the Lord points that to you. Who knows? Who knows? As I read about the days of Finney, 500,000 saved in eight weeks. 500,000 saved in eight weeks. The power of God striking people as they're coming in on the harbor, on boats, into New York. I'm talking about tangible zones of glory. I'm talking about the Hebrides Islands to where they're walking to the police station and everyone has turned themselves into the cops because they knew that everything that they have just done wrong was revealed to them. This is not make-believe. This is not funny. This is what happens when God shows up. Who knows? I'm going to tell you, what is the wineskin that's going to be able to handle the outpouring of the Spirit that we're believing for? What is the, wine, what is the thing that's going to be able to handle what God is wanting to release? Here it is. Verse 15. And I want to say it as bold as I can. Verse 15 through 17 is the prophetic word of the hour. Joel 2, 15 through 17 is the prophetic word of the hour. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and the nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber, the bride from her dressing room. And let the priest who minister to the Lord. And let them say, spare your people, O Lord. I believe that the prophetic word of the hour is, it's time to shut down business as usual. And truly become the house of prayer. What do you mean by that, Corey? I'm saying it's a time to where we begin to have more prayer meetings in our churches than we do board meetings. Where we have more strategy meetings. More networking meetings. To where we begin to shut down. Because I'm telling you right now, in an hour of crisis, Joel is telling us, Jeremiah said the same thing, but Joel says it so clear. This is what church looks like in an hour of crisis. Well, brother, I don't know that we're in a crisis. Things are going pretty well. Exactly. Exactly. 
No, pro, no prophetic voice that ever got released was popular, nor did it run with the flow of the day. They were always out of sync, always out of step. Noah for 120 years. Jeremiah for 40 years. Ezekiel in Babylonian captivity. John the Baptist coming out of places. Guys, I'm telling you, it's happening. Verse 28. And I believe this is what it looks like. When you're turning to that, this is what it looks like. I'm declaring that the new wineskin for what the Lord wants to release is this. It's time to shut down business as usual and gather together and pray. I want to say it right here that the Lord called His house a house of what? 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 I'm telling you right now, He didn't call it a house of evangelism. He didn't call it a house of feeding the poor. He didn't call it a house of prophecy or healing. He called it a house of prayer, which means this. Prayer is the central foundational place, individually and corporately, and out of that place, the power and the kingdom of God breaks out. I am desperate. I know that my life's going to be poured out in the nations. But I'm here to just say that we need a radical shift. We need a radical shift. We need a radical shift. I'm st- I am crying out to God for the millions that are sitting in pews every week that are so far from the God-given inheritance to live close to God, to minister to Him, and to agree with what He wants to do. I'm telling you, it's time to free the prisoners in the pews and say it's time to step into your royal inheritance. It's called a kingdom of priests forever to our God. And God's raising up trumpets and says, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. A kingdom of priests, and we shall reign on the earth. This is how government looks. And then in verse 28, what does he say? It shall come to pass. When? Come on, somebody. When? Afterward. Read your Bibles. I said now, earlier. This is what he says. Everybody loves to quote Joel 2, 28. Yeah, we want the outpouring of the Spirit. But nobody wants to enter in to God's prescribed method that can handle what God wants to give us. There is a certain place that can handle the outpouring of the Spirit. And it's called gatherings of fasting and prayer. And he says that afterward, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh. That's what we're contending for. Amen? That's what we're living for. We're contending. Guys, I believe that we are embarking upon a day to where on all nations there is going to be an historic outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the number one release, I'm talking about stadiums being filled. We've seen the vision, our prophetic leadership here has seen the vision for years, 30 years. Stadiums filled. Paralytics getting out of wheelchairs, people on stage for three days with no food or clothing. I mean, food or, forgive me. We don't, we, you listened to that one, didn't you? We, I've been praying all day, Revelation 3, that I've been praying that the shame of my nakedness would be closed, so that's where it came from. So. <laughs> Laugh one more time. There you go. I knew that was, it was there. Let it go. Stadiums filled, and I'm telling you right now, what's going to be the number one release of the outpouring of the Spirit is coming? 
We are embarking upon an apostolic missions movement that is going to be shot into the heart of the nations of the earth. An apostolic missions movement that's going to be shot into North Africa. It's going to be shot throughout the Middle East. It's going to be shot throughout Europe, throughout Eastern Europe, through Russia. It's going to be shot throughout the Scandinavian countries, throughout this nation, through South America throughout the Caribbean, that God is going to release an historic outpouring and prophets are going to arise with clarity, authority, and power. And they are going to bear witness to the light. They are going to emerge as burning and shining lamps out of the wilderness of prayer and fasting. And they are going to move in the spirit and the power of Elijah they are going to move in authority, prophets, sons and daughters that prophesy. I'm not talking about more conferences. I'm talking about Genesis 1, power restored to the Word of God. I'm talking about creative power. I'm talking about power that shuts the heavens to declare a judgment of God. That opens the heavens to declare the mercy of God. That prophesies and that releases the kingdom of God. That's what I'm talking about. And I believe that we are at the beginning of the beginning of this. And I believe that some of those, many of those, it may you be shot out in North Africa. Some of you may be housewives raising up children. Some of you may be factory workers. Some of you may be Annas and Simeons who live your whole life in the temple. I, I live in a tension. Me and Alan, we talk about this tension because I'm a Simeon. I'm an Anna. That's my first and foremost calling. I, I want to live here all the days of my life. But at the same time, my heart burns for the nations. And I want to see the apostolic gospel released with power that shuts the mouths and that we see the power of God begin to convert the whole Muslim world. Before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you, I've sanctified you, and I've ordained you. As a prophet to the nations. Before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. I don't care if anybody else knows you. God knows you deeply, intimately. He knows, all you, he knows your frame. His thoughts are more towards you than the sands of the sea. He knows you. He sanctified you. He has set you apart for Himself. And the third thing, guys, there is a commissioning that is coming. And this is what you're going to sound. Everybody wake up. It's time to gather together in prayer. That's what this call event that we're going to have at the end of this conference is about. Do you understand that the call events today are a turning signal for what church is going to look like tomorrow? Amen? Amen. Let's stand.